This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. Glenn, it was a pleasure meeting you. Uh, Happy Canada Day. Canada Day, everyone. It's uh, technically it's my second Canada Day. Oh, is it working? So, oh yeah. Oh, oh, that's yeah. my bad. My bad. I'll just hold it. So yeah, uh, Happy Canada Day, everyone. It's my second Canada Day. Uh, I've been here for kind of a year and a half now. Uh, I've seen only warm net from the people over here. It's a cold weather, but warm people. So um, uh, thanks, Dan, for the introduction. I worked, as as he mentioned, uh, in Palestine mainly, but I also worked in different in other uh, areas, such as Kabul, Iraq, Yemen, and Syria. I had a small missions in Jordan and, uh, and Cairo. And it was, uh, it was nice to see and to be a refugee in the first place, but also try to... One, two? Hello? I'm not really sure of this. We work just on the outside of your college. Let me, please allow me. Okay. Whoops. Okay, we're gonna put it down there. And try that. Try okay. That. How's that? Can you hear me now? Yes. No. Yeah. Okay. So, um, one of the longest missions or the longest agencies I worked with was the Red Cross. No, no. Not again? No, no, no. Do you have the mic? Can Can I have your mic? I don't know. It's It's not really working. That's the problem. Okay. Sorry, I need more experience doing this. Come on. Sorry, but I hope this is okay. Okay. Try that. Is, is this better now? Yeah. No? Are you, everyone is hearing me? Oh, yeah. So, uh, most of my time was with the uh, International Red Cross, uh, which we call it ICRC as, uh, as a very short phrase. When it comes to the ICRC, it has a very different mandate. It's different than any other organization. It doesn't only provide uh, help to and aid to the people who are in need, but it's also involved in the, in the war conflict in a way that it reduces the amount of violence that happens. War in itself, it's forbidden. However, it happens. It happened before, it's happening now, and it will happen in the future. So the idea with the Red Cross is to make sure that uh, laws are applicable in times of conflict. Uh, I'm going to try to mention as much as possible, provide as much as possible the information why the Red Cross is a little bit different. I'm going to talk a little bit about the IHL, which is the International Humanitarian Law, and I'm going to talk about human rights in general. So, why humanitarian organizations do matter? It does, it does have a very big uh, impact, actually, in places in conflict, or if it's a natural disaster. 
uh, once a disaster happens, the people on the ground, they're kind of lost. They need someone to guide them. They need to know where to go, how to do it. And usually organizations such as the UN and the uh, Red Cross are the first people to have an impact and to go directly over there. Helping civilians and people who are in need. Uh, approaching decision makers to provide a clear view uh, of the international law and the international humanitarian law. In some cases, we do have a kind of an involvement, but we do not, we're not usually involved in the decision making. We try as much as possible to make negotiations, but sometimes it doesn't work, so that's how, how it goes. Uh, we provide logistical and support once it's needed, and development uh, for countries that allow us to be involved in. Um, Countries are not in a conflict. It's mainly just to inform that what we are doing, collecting donations, and try to make a public awareness of what we are doing in general. So these are some of the main elements for us to start working. When, it, when we're talking about working in a place, we think about the safety of the crew. Because if you can't help yourself, you can't help others. Uh, we do have very long procedures. It starts from telecommunications and having guidelines, what we have to wear, what we, not, what we shouldn't wear. Like, for example, in some areas in the Middle East, you cannot go, for example, with some certain tattoos. Or you cannot go as lady without a hijab, or, or we call it a head cover. Some places, you're not, men are not allowed to mix with women. Uh, you have to respect this because sometimes if, if you, did, did, uh, you did not put that into consideration, it might have a very big impact and it might have, like the people who are, for example, like militias who are involved, they might refuse to receive your aid to provide to people if you did not respect the common law over there. Uh, so you have to put that into consideration. It might even put yourself into a very big uh, risk like what happened to a couple of my co-workers before that have a very limited uh, knowledge of the culture and it was kind of tense on them. Uh, culture, as I mentioned, making sure that we do have the good knowledge. IT. Uh, my laptop, for example, was broken today. That's something we do not, we do not accept to do over there. There must be always, the IT is, just became a very important element. Uh, we can't work without it. We have to inform what's happening to our co-workers and to our supervisors and other places in order for them to take decisions. We must make sure that the decisions are always uh, known, and as, as the reputation. Now, the reputation is it's extremely important for one reason. People, people on that part, I mean, some militias and, and, of course, armies, they know who's coming in. They do have the information. They do have the intelligence they might refuse someone to come in and, and to help. Um, it's, it's kind of what, what they do have there, and we have to respect it. So there are two different kinds of organizations are working in the field. There is organizations such as um, the ones that provide documentations. Like their main, their main point is to go in a, into a place trying to have as much stories and inform it to the public. Uh, this is something like, for example, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch. They're the ones who can speak loud. I, I usually am a loud person when it comes to speaking. I, I love to work with them because 
it's easy to speak and to point fingers. It's easy to say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. But on the other side, and they're doing a great job. But on the other side, they're not providing, uh, they're not providing aid. That's putting the other organizations such as the UN, the UNHCR, and, and uh, the Red Cross, MSF, those are the ones who have to provide the aid. However, this comes with a cost. That's why they have to be quiet sometimes. They would see a violation and they would not talk about it. Uh, they might, like, it keeps us in a dilemma. Like, shall we keep on working, providing aid, and just keep our mouth shut? and make sure that our crew is safety? Or shall we speak loud? Shall we say that this is wrong? You have to respect this and that. So it comes into everyone who's working in the field. Like it's, it's just a dilemma that we're living with. But in the very end, both ways are right, and both ways might be wrong. ICRC, it's, uh, it's uh, what we call International Committee of the Red Cross. It was, it's 150 years actually, it's as old as the Federation in Canada. So we're talking about 150 years with the Red Cross over the world. If the Red Cross wasn't into, in the world at this moment, I would say it won't be as, as safe as, I won't say safe, but many people won't be here or won't be, their, their children won't be here because of the ICRC. ICRC, it's, it's actually, it has a one main mandate, which is, being the protector of the Geneva Conventions. Uh, and doing that is making sure that they have to make sure that all the people, or, or all the governments and the parties which signed on the Geneva Conventions are accepting, uh, are accepting what, what, these, what these codes are saying. And they have to go through with it. Now, with great power comes great responsibility. This something was Spider-Man said in one of the movies. I have no idea what one of the movie is. <laughs> However, uh, it's actually like we we were we were we received a lot of a lot of tension from different countries. Like, and 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 sometimes it was we were used. I'm 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 sorry if I'm a little bit honest, but we were used in order to. If you're not doing this. I'm not going to allow you to provide these aids. If you're not saying this uh, against the other party, you're not allowed. Sometimes we have to, to say no, sometimes we have to refuse, and sometimes we have to give our back to to civilians. And it's, it's, it's just hard. And I'm going to show you a video in a, in a bit for one time that I have to say no, myself. So IHL, which stands for uh, International Humanitarian Law, it wasn't built actually, or it wasn't created to prevent war. We're not going to prevent war. War is going to happen, as I mentioned. It's just, it was just made to reduce the amount of um, unnecessary uh, violence that might affect people, and, and unnecessary uh, torture that might, that might affect their life in the future. Um, it's not easy to deal with, because sometimes the codes and the legal codes that are mentioned in the Geneva Convention are kind of complicated. Like, am I allowed to use uh, landmines? Yes, you're allowed. Uh, you, can you use them all the time? Not really. Where can I use them? That's where we come. 
we can say that, oh, you're allowed to use them over this area with this kind of people over there. Am I allowed to, uh, to target the head of chief or, or the chief of command in case that a country was involved in a war? Yes, you're allowed. Am I allowed to take him while he's in his pajamas? Yes, you are. So, it's, it's just laws, and we ha it's, it's applicable on everyone. Like, if you're involved in a war, it's, it's going to be fair and square. Uh, so, there's a lot of details. Like, for example, are our drones are, are allowed to be used? No, they're not. For one, one typical reason. Because you're not giving, uh, the, you're not giving uh, the person who is a, a target a chance to surrender. That's that's a very that's a very big important point for us. Like if he can surrender, or he's like he's thinking of surrendering, then you mustn't kill him. Uh, if if, uh, if you can injure him, don't kill him. If you can arrest him, don't injure him. That's the main law. So. The other point with IHL, it was always made after a catastrophe. Like, for example, we do have four, four main uh, periods of time. Uh, the first one was in, um, in, 19, in 1857, uh, and it started with saying that, uh, okay, if there, if there are militants, and it's, if, if there are militants, you have to get, provide them with their, if, if he's injured, you have to provide them with, um, with medical care, and then in 1910, uh, we added the militants in, in, the, in the seaside and in the sea warfare. Uh, 19, 1920, uh, after the World War I, we, uh, we, in, we involved as the ICRC, not we, as me. Uh, I wasn't born at that time. Uh, in 1920, uh, we involved the, uh, the code of the POW, which are the prisoners of war and making sure that they do have or they do receive their uh, all of their rights as humans in 1948 it was involved with all, all the people who are involved as civilians or are known as civilians so civilians are protected according to the international humanitarian law uh, as as recently within the recent statistics that i've read uh, within forbes and uh, it shows that this time, that our time, is one of the peaceful times in humanity. And it's actually for three main reasons. First of all, we do have very high media and very high t telecommunication. Something happens at this moment in China, everyone here would know about it. Something happens in Alaska, everyone in Peru will know about it. It's just like it just became a very small village. So violations are not as easy to happen as they used before the media thing. Number two, the very big continuous work that the humanitarian works are involved in and the UN Assembly is doing. Is the UN Assembly uh, very, it's, I, I would see it, at least my personal, and working in the UN, my personal uh, experience, it's a very bureaucratic place to work in. It takes, every decision takes days, every day it takes lives from people. But that's the way it works. People must, like the, the decision makers, they have to sit together and they have to agree. Like seven years and Russia and the US didn't agree till now on, on Syria. They didn't agree till now on uh, Crimea. So that's, that's how much time it would take. And the third main reason is actually the involvement of social activists. 
you might not feel that this is big, but it did have a very big impact on decision makers, like what happened in Vietnam. This actually was the, was the start of m making sure that activists do have a role in stopping wars and conflicts. So one, one other point. Our testimonies are not used in, 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 uh, in courts. We're not allowed to talk about uh, something that we witnessed. That's why, for example, I signed, when I worked with the Red Cross, I signed a confidentiality agreement with the Red Cross. It's, it's lasting up to five years after leaving them. So our court departments in the Red Cross, our, or how it works. We do have something called protection, which is mainly, it doesn't mean that I'm going to go and take the bullet, which I physically did. Yeah, and that was a very, that wasn't a good idea recently <laughs> when I've been in the area. However, so the protection department, its main idea or the main core of it is to make sure that they connect with the parties who are involved in a conflict to try to reduce the amount of uh, violence is happening, uh, making sure that they also contact uh, or they're connected with, uh, with the parties that do have influence on them. Like, for example, at least I'm giving them the, the, uh, the examples in the Middle East. Uh, I'm not really sure how it works in Asia or in, in South America. So in, in the Middle East, we, we talk to militias directly. Uh, we do have contacts with them. Uh, whether they were like, if, of course, everyone heard about ISIS, Islamic Jihad, Hamas, um, Hezbollah. Yes, we did have uh, contacts with them in order to inform them about their obligations toward the humanitarian law, international humanitarian law and how they have to respect it. Did we sit in workshops with them? Yes, we did. We did inform them with their obligations. We did have, have a lot of rice and meat together, together, yeah, because they sit on rice and meat. They just like it, and which we call it feta. Which we call it feta, and it's it's kind of it's kind of um, I would say we also touch their needs, like we hear for them and say that we're not we're fighting for this and that until our needs are are, are met. We're gonna do your fight. We're going to keep on fighting. It's not our job to stop them from fighting. It's not our job to, to brainwash them and tell them not to fight. It's our job is to just to tell them, okay, if you want to do that, you're an adult. You know what's the, what the results that might happen to yourself, to your family, and to your society. But keep in mind that these are your obligations. Uh, did we have very hard time with them? Yes, we did. Same thing that happened when, when my coworkers and a couple of occasions I was dealing with the IDF or as it's known, Israeli Defense Force. Uh, so you do have a lot of codes and a lot of information that you have to provide. And sometimes a small mistake in providing an information, it might lead to, do, to the death or it might lead to un successful mission. So the work on protection is actually really big and every other every other department of, of the other three departments is actually is working to make sure that the protection is successful. Because if they're not the whole the whole system goes down. 
So we do have communications, which was my department. My department was the, was kind of it has two roles. It's dealing with the public, informing them what what you what they're supposed to do, and, and it's like what we're doing, what's our job, uh, trying to make sure that we're as as transparent as possible when it comes to our work. And we do have our underworld job, which is dealing with militias and armies uh, and the parties they do have involvement in them. We did have, we talked, we talked to so, so many imams or who are known as uh, spiritual Islamic uh, uh, religious men or like, uh, like people like, like a priest, but it's the Islamic virgin. Uh, they do have very big influence on the fighters. Uh, in universities, we do have very, very big involvement in universities. Like most of the militants I met are highly educated. Um, they can, some of them they speak actually English, some of them they go up to French, some of them they do have very high uh, uh, degrees, whether it was in, in, uh, in engineering or in, in or in or being doctors, actually. So many doctors are involved with them. Um, and the, so it's like that's, in communications, it's mainly we try to involve with them as much as possible and try to to make them accept us first as number one. We, they have to accept us in order for us to keep on doing what we do. And then they have to accept our ideas and from there we go. So that's our work in the communication department. We do have a cooperation department. So this is how it works. You do have the ICRC, and you do have something like the Canadian Red Cross. Uh, so the ICRC is always cooperating with the Canadian Red Cross, but we're not. We don't have as much resources as the Canadian Red Cross. We might have one or two people to guide. We have some training to give. Our numbers are going to be, you know, in maybe maximum in hundreds, but the Canadian Red Cross is going to be in thousands. Same thing in the other countries. The Afghani Red Crescent, there we're talking about thousands of volunteers. Our whole crew in the Red Cross in, the, in, the, in Afghanistan, you're talking about 150 people in, in a very small area in, in Afghanistan, all over Afghanistan. So the corporation is trying to be involved with the, uh, with the national society and to, in, to have their volunteers working with us. The admin and management is just like as any other admin and management in all the world. They just do the finance and they do the paperwork. We've gone through this. So, uh, as I mentioned, we do have very, we do involve ourselves in universities. Universities are important at this part of, at, at this moment because it's no matter even in war times, you would find people studying in universities. My university myself was bombed three times, and I had to I had to study on rubble. I had to study on rubble. That's how to terminate people in the Middle East. Like you don't know how it works. That's why we we're so involved in universities. Um, we just just recently I was in, informed with uh, my coworkers there. In, uh, in actually in Jordan that I started a project over there to involve IHL into the Sharia uh, 
faculties in Jordan, seven Sharia faculties in Jordan. It just worked out recently, and it involved uh, the IHL and the IHRL, which is a hum international humanitarian law, uh, a human rights law, into the Sharia laws, and make them mixed all together for, for the future generations so they can, they can know about it. How powerful the new media is. Of course, we're like these two pictures. This is for Alan in, in southern Turkey. Once the whole, uh, once the whole immigration started, and and he's he's a kid who's like three years old. I'm sorry if this uh, if the photos are strong, but it's light. Um, this kid was actually uh, a, a result, and other thousands like him of violations for the international law, for not allowing refugees to having the same path or a safe one, of taking them out of their areas. My, as, like my mission in Syria when I worked there, it was mainly about IDPs. IDPs are uh, international displaced persons. Intern, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, internal displaced persons. Um, we're talking about 10 million people. 10 million people, which is more than all of the refugees all around the world. That's what's happened in Syria. Is Syria the worst example that we have? No. No, definitely no. Syria is actually, as I mentioned, we're talking about 13 conflicts that are going on the world at this moment. 30 years ago, we we're, were talking about more than 30. 100 years ago, the whole world was fighting each other. Is this something that makes us happy? No, not really, because every soul makes a difference, and every soul counts. But then, till there are political agreements, this is going to keep on happening. The only thing that we're kind of happy that's, that it shows, yes, these are hard pictures to see. But then they do have a pressure on the governments. And, and, and through activists like you, you can also have pressure on governments. As, as a spokesperson, oh, I'll this later. As a spokesperson, this was kind of uh, an interruption from the media. That's the only down point that I kind of uh, face from the media. The media sometimes they can create false story. I'm trying to be as balanced as possible and give you as as much knowledge as I, I try to know about this matter because I worked as a journalist and I've done this mistake. I would prevent or I would. Uh, I might have resources which are right, but then I might not have the whole resources which prevent the humanitarian organizers to do their work. Uh, did I did I make that mistake? Yes, I'm sorry to do it, but in in times of conflict, sometimes you don't know what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing to do, especially if you're you're working from one one th from one different position to the other. Um, my. My memories as a journalist, it's actually, it was, it was kind of as hard as my memories as a, a humanitarian. Um, as a journalist, you do have this passion of writing and making the world know, and it's like you're thinking that you're, it's like your your message is like the whole world have to know what's happening, and and you try to have as much resources in a very small amount of time. Is it safe? No. It was actually we were less protected. Uh, we were involved in so many stories. Some of them are humanitarian. 
in a way that you just stop writing. You say, I can't write this. I won't, I won't do it. And then you just think about, like, again, like, okay, if, if, I, if I myself on the ground saw that this is a very powerful story, I'm pretty sure it will affect someone over there. So I'll do it again. One of the po most powerful stories, actually, I do remember it now. Uh, I was, I was at that time, um, I was working in, in Yemen for a small amount of time. And, and the thing that, as a journalist, again, it, it touched my heart that there was this lady who refused to leave her place and refused to leave her area, no matter that she was the only one who was left alone there. It's like, you don't have water, you don't have, don't have food. Why are you insisting to stay here? And then she said, well, I do have small goats here. If I left them, no one's going to take care of them. But you do have your children. And it's like, well, I'll try to protect the both. In a way, it's, it's like she, she thought of, of the goats. And it's like, yes, it's, it's important. But, but in, a, in a situation, like in, in a rational situation, you would say no. But maybe she acted as a mother. Like I saw that she was acting as a mother. So these are three of the main, these are three different experiences I lived, totally random, to have nothing to do with each other, uh, but I thought of sharing them with you. Uh, the first one over here was my second near-death experience while I was working with the New York Times. Uh, uh, we were, me and Taylor Hicks, one of the most, one of the most famous photographers uh, in uh, in New York Times and, and maybe in the world, uh, we were working in stories and, and it just happens that we had to go to sleep and to start working the next day. Uh, a shell just fall just beside our, our uh, hotel. And like two seconds before doing that, uh, I just put two layers of, of jackets, like his jacket and my jacket on my face. And I have no idea why I put that. It's just like, like an angel came or, or whatever, or, or light came into my mind. It's like, just put the, just put the jackets on your mind, uh, on, on your face. I did that one second later. Poof. It just, an explosion happens. Uh, sharp ones came in and it was all over my, 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 my face. But, and, and then he's like, he, he came, he ran, he ran into me. I was like, are you fine? Yes, and I can't believe it's, I actually felt it. I actually felt it. The second one was with the president of the Red Cross, International Red Cross in Afghanistan. And it was actually a pleasure because the microworkers there, they worked really hard to make sure that they can provide this kind of uh, project when it comes to water wells. It, was, it, provided, it provided hundreds of thousands of people to have drinkable water, a clean water. Not as clean, of course, but something that he can drink. Can drink. Uh, the third one was again in Gaza. It was, uh, we were actually, me and the protection delegates were trying to negotiate, uh, to negotiate the, the moving of, of the AIDS into, the, into a village. We couldn't meet the militants at that time, so we met with the head of the, of the village. Uh, we did just to have a very small amount of time, we were talking about like two hours, so we had to make sure that we can manage going into the village, talking to them, 
having a response and having the time to either provide the aid or just go back. We had our negotiations. They had to talk with their, with their side as well and the party, the militants. We didn't reach a, we didn't reach a, a, con a conclusion or a result. So we went back with nothing to do. This was Nicolas Hawass, and she was Nuran Hawass, and she was my coworker. I ate with her. I had good times with her. We yelled at each other. We walked with to, with each other. We danced. Uh, we had good times, and she was one of the most uh, cooperative uh, coworkers I had worked with. And she was kidnapped in Yemen for 10 months, 10 months. She was, as far as I do remember, I would say she was like around 60 pounds. After her release, she was 40. She disappeared, she was a different person. Till this moment, she's trying to recover from what happened to her. Um, three of my other colleagues has passed away, the ones that I worked with. Um, do I think I'm going to try to do that again after what happens to them? And actually, like, I, I check our photos and our, our you know, relations and, it's like, and our messages. And, yeah, they were so close to me. Do I think I'm going to go there again and do the same thing? Yes. I know that I'm going to do it again. Uh, it's just, like, a lot of experience, and I'm not ready to let it go. Do I think that this might be rescue in my life? Yes. Do I know that there's something that might happen? Yes. But then if everyone said that I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to help, then it's going to be harder and harder. Um, I do have not a very pleasant example to put on. I'm sorry to, to do it. But then again, I'm trying to provide the story as it is. So this is one of the rescuing missions, again in Gaza, because uh, I'll start from here, I'll translate, then we'll continue. I mean, it's in Arabic, so there's the, mar the voice. Yeah. So I'll, I'll translate what's happening. So, uh, what's happening with that lady? She was like, I don't have water, I need water. So we went to that area in a village called Bet Hanun, uh, 2014. Uh, she's like, I don't have water, I don't have children on me, and I need you guys to provide me with water. And then... Is this Syria? 
No, no, this is in Gaza. That's where, that's where uh, I served. And, and see, it's, it's, a, it's a total different story. Uh, and then it's like, we do, have a, we do have a small amount of water in our cars for us. And the reason that we can take a lot, because we need to have more space for injured people to put it in. And so, so you calculate as much as, as uh, you, you do the calculations before you leave. And she's like, so we had a very, very hard decision to, to, to take. Like, if we give her our water, we have no idea how much are we going to stay over there. And if we didn't, we know that we're actually, we're hurting, we're making, we're making more bad than good to her. And I, I just ended up giving her a small, a small bottle of water that I know it makes no difference. Like, if, if she has like five kids, it will make no difference. But if I gave her some of mine, then I'm putting myself and my crew, because I was in, the char in charge of there, into risk. So that's kind of a decision that you have to take every time. Like, a, a co-worker with me, and I witnessed it myself, he had to take uh, a baby from his mother, like she was three, three to four years old, from his mother, who was just on her way to, to, live, to live life, and he has to run, run away with it. So things like this just remains in his mind. And I just witness it, and it's something that goes. However, this is how we do our job and we enter. Like, we're not protected with vessels, as you can see. It's just our vest that says who, what organization are we working with. So, the ones with the Red Cross is the international one. It's like, it's the reason why the militias are kind of accepting the other ones are going. Yes, these are bullets if you're hearing them from here. And, and that's just like a daily job. You just go in, you try to do your best. And yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to, to bring this here. I'm sorry, Canada is a very safe place. And my first, my first job in Canada was actually in Fort Mac in, in Alberta. And in my interview, like, uh, I was told that, oh, people might yell on you, like, if they're kind of frustrated. And it's like, no, you, they don't. The people are polite. They say may and please. And, <laughs> and I like it because, because yelling is different there. But here it's like you feel that, okay, no matter how, mu how much, guys, you're, you're frustrated, yeah, I can handle it. So, so that's, I think, my portion. Um, thank you.